Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, your day live action back at it again from Kansas City, Missouri. You already know what it is. And listen, we respect Kansas, but I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, all right? Casey Mo, ladies and gentlemen, representing the town from this way to that way, but we got love from the 816 to 913. So at the end of the day, unity and power and community. Um, I am blessed. I am grateful. I am excited that you guys are back listening to another episode of the podcast, another episode of the show. I'm really, you know, I want to make sure I take time out today as we start moving up to the 100th episode to express the gratitude I have for any listeners who've tuned in to one episode or, you know, 90-something episodes, man. I, I really just appreciate any of you guys giving me the time of day to hear my voice or to hear the, the voice of those individuals I find dope and bring on the platform. And speaking of those individuals, speaking of the dope individuals I bring on the platform, like I promise you, every single Friday next week, I'm going to come back with a fire guest. I've done it once again. And with that being said, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, my brother. Absolutely. My name is Arden Franklin from Westchester County, New York, the 914, Foreside. I'm a content creator, sports, music, besides that, you know, Starbucks enthusiast, Drake's dance coach. <laughs> um, I try, man. I try to do my thing. But real talk, I'm happy to be on the show, man. For real, you've been doing a dope job. I'm happy we had the chance to connect. And tonight's the night where we get to know each other more, man, and talk some good stuff. So thank you, man. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Look, I'm not going to lie to you, you know, when I make my way out to the East Coast, I'm definitely going to have to slide on y'all at your guys' uh, studio, because I like that studio, the setup for your podcast. Yo, thank I'm, you, thank I'm, you. Trying to, I'm trying to step my level up, you know, make sure my visuals look a little bit better when I do these in-person podcasts, but, you know, it's hard. <laughs> y'all got a nice little setup, though, so I do, before we jump into your life story, I want to start right there, and we'll come back to it, we'll, we'll start right there, that we'll rewind, come back to it later again, but How'd you guys come up with that, uh, create that podcast space? Did you create it yourself? Is it a studio in town? Like, you know, uh, whereabouts did the podcast originate? Like, I know the, the brand is is not just the podcast, but starting with yeah. the podcast, can we talk about how you guys came up with the idea to do that and, and where the starting point was? Absolutely. So to start off, the studio is actually a really dope Black Dome podcast studio known as WTF Media Studios and Lower Manhattan, salute to them. Um, my homie Wells, who's a day one partner here at Foreside, he actually put us on to the spot like in June, you know, cause at this time, like a lot of other podcasts, everybody had gotten used to recording from home and pretty much virtually. So when we was talking about the fact that, hey man, it's time for us to get back in the stew and like get back in person, he recommended it because this podcast studio is actually known as like a spot where a lot of different popular podcasts from the hip-hop space record there so like folks who are in the hip-hop podcast such as like new rory and mall they were there for a few months um wayno he did his show there for folks into hip-hop comedy and news or whatever right um the brain idiots by charlemagne and andrew schultz they do their podcast out of there sometimes so it was like okay like this spot has some legitimate clout to it and when you go and find out more that okay this is a black owned business they have a really dope staff, you know, salute to our guy, Wolf, who's been our engineer for months now. Um, it made for a really great space. And it's, and the best part, it's affordable. So that's where we've that been filming out of. Yeah, that's where we've been filming out of. And the start of the podcast really goes back to the start of Foresight itself. You know, I came up with the name Foresight during the summer of 2015 for two reasons. The first reason is because my where I'm from, Westchester County, New York, our area code is known as the 914. And the same way for you, when you talk about Kansas City, there's the area codes and y'all know what's up. You know which area codes are iconic. For us, at least on our side of things, in New York and around the East Coast, we feel like the 914 area code is just that. So it's like, all right, we got the 914 area code. That is other part of it, me being a huge Drake fan. And at the time, Drake had everybody and their mother calling Toronto the six side or the six. Yes, so they were just putting two and two together, like 914, six side, four side. And the, the podcast was just the first thing that we started doing. So I hit up Wills to be a part of the pod because we had been friends for like a year at that point. You know, January of 2016, we actually met at the gym he used to work at and that I used to go to. And 
every time we see each other, we will always stop and talk about two things, music and wrestling. Mm-hmm. And when I knew I wanted to go into doing the podcast and I wanted to talk music, since I had already been working in sports media at that time, I just knew I wanted to do it with somebody and that somebody was Wills and we wanted to talk hip hop. And next year, next month actually is our six year anniversary. And, you know, it's been a wonderful ride so far. I love it. I love it. Six years going strong. I love to see it. And so so um, we spoke about Westchester County right there. So I want to double back to that, man. Let's talk about your upbringing. Let's talk about, you know, what was what was life like growing up in Westchester, Westchester County? And uh, what were what are some like iconic things about that area? I know for Kansas City, we have barbecue. We have yep. Royals. We have the Chiefs that are, you know, gaining their popularity now. Shout out to Eddie Griffin, too. Yeah, exactly. Shout out to Eddie Griffin. We have a uh, we have, you know, a few a few highlights that everyone knows Kansas City for. So <laughs> what's your part of part of the country known for? And what was the experiences like growing up as a as a young man? Yeah, so for me, I was born, well, not born, I was born in the Bronx, but I lived in Westchester my entire life. I've always joked around and said, I wish I could say I was born and raised in Westchester, but I was born in the Bronx, then got taken to Westchester. But um, Westchester is a very unique place. I think for us, a lot of people know us as a very rich county for not only across the East Coast, but across the country, because it's very filled with suburbs. But there's also a lot of inner city life in Westchester. And somebody like me, I have my fair share of experiences living in the inner inner city, but also spending a lot of time in the suburbs for various reasons. So you literally get the best of both worlds here in Westchester, as well as having that extremely close proximity to New York City. So you go to New York City, if you go outside of New York City, as you go up north, you literally will be in Westchester. And there's certain part of Westchester County that are integrated with the city in terms of any of the barrels to where like, you can literally drive across a bridge and be in Queens, or you could walk down the street in Yonkers or Mount Vernon and be in the Bronx. Like it's that close. And the last part is the fact that, you know, we have a lot of icons coming out of Westchester County, you know, Westchester County is the home of DMX, home of Rough Riders, home of Mary J. Blige, Heavy D, Pete Rock. That's just on the music side. Denzel Washington is from Westchester County by way of Mount Vernon. You know, we have a great sports history. Recent times, Donovan Mitchell, Eric Pascal, you know, 15 years ago, Ben Gordon. So we have so much talent, legendary talent, but being from here, it's also just having that fight of how do we represent the crib? Because when you're so close to New York City, you could get overlooked by New York City and also mischaracterize as upstate when truth is we're not upstate. Albany is upstate. Like where I'm at, Albany is at least two hours away. Yep. Buffalo's nearly 10 hours away. Like that's upstate. So it's a very complicated but beautiful place. And I had the chance to really see you know, life at the bottom in the in the projects to middle-class living, to having friends of all races, going to some terrible schools, to some excellent schools. And, you know, it's made me who I am. It's, it's made me love this place even more and why I feel like I truly have a very balanced look at life. I love it. I love it. And, and you speak about that duality that uh, of experiences between, you know, being so close to the city and having that melting pot five minutes away, but then also being your own entity in the 914 and having the different experiences there in terms of mass suburbs, but also, you know, the project. So can you talk about how all those experiences with the people from all these communities really um, maybe helped you as an individual in the way you uh, approach life when it comes to, you know, the issues that we have in this country, when it comes to race issues, when it comes to um, you know, issues with, with uh, how we identify ourselves or, or certain things like that. So can you talk about, or, you know, being able to code switch and being able to have conversations with people from all backgrounds. Can you talk about maybe some of the benefits, um, some of the things that you really enjoyed about, or as you got older, realized, helped you out as a, as a man um, that came from the duality of experiences from experiencing so many different communities? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say for me, living here has only, you know, given me positives. You know, I think even from 
you know, a human to human level, the code switching, the understanding different people's lifestyles, the understanding how people think and feel, I was able to get a legitimate look at that every day and experience that in such a legitimate matter to where it just always showed me that like, yo, you really can't read a book by its cover. You can't always assume the best of the worst because somebody could be from the same environment as you or they may look differently, look different than you or sound different or whatever the case may be because it is such a melting pot and New York is like that in general, but it's such a melting pot being in Westchester that it's like, man, what you think is something can be not at times and then the things that you wouldn't expect it to be can be. So it was always just a working lesson in that. And for me, again, even with Westchester being, you know, mainly suburbs, I still was around my people. I still was around brown people, just like I was around white people and people with money. Like I had that day-to-day experience of, sure, I could live in a black and brown neighborhood and yet go to school with a lot of white folks or go to these bar mitzvahs or when I work with kids, you know, go to mainly white and well-off neighborhoods, but I'm still going back to my downtown area where it's with my people and Hispanic people. So I've always had that balance and it was just natural to just code switch. But I would say for me personally, code switching wasn't really a thing. You know, here in New York, as a New Yorker, we have our own language and just our own attitude. So it wasn't really, and again, speaking for me, like a a black white thing. And I know people hear that and think, well, oh, is he dismissing? No, I'm not. Like that is absolutely real. But my environment being a New Yorker meant I could be talking to a white New Yorker, Hispanic New Yorker, an Asian New Yorker, whoever New Yorker, we're talking like New Yorkers. And our environment more so breeds that versus the color of our skin, not the missing that, but our environments are most so the greatest factor at times. So it just made me extremely balanced. And I had the chance to see everything all the time from inner city to suburbs to the wealthy it didn't matter. I just had a chance to see that and see that other factors often dictated conversations and success. And, you know, I felt like that made me extremely balanced and gave me a better look at things. I love it. I love it. And and still staying on the topic of being in the East Coast, being so close, close to New York City, being from an area that's so culturally rich. Can you talk about maybe some of your early influences growing up when it comes to hip hop, when it comes to culture and dress? When it comes to hairstyles, when it comes to chains, can you talk about, you know, who really stood out to you growing up or, or was really powerful influence? I know for me, I loved 50 Cent. I yeah. really loved 50 Cent. I was like, yo, I'm wearing everything G-Unit. I'm wearing mm-hmm. everything, you know, baggy clothes. I want to have a six pack and be swole and walk around with my with my yeah. shirt off. You know, <laughs> I want to buy yeah. I want to buy an armored vest and I don't even get shot at at 10 years old. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like. It's like I knew that 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 was somebody who I looked up to. I tried to rap like, talk with the toughness, be strong, whatever. So, like, who were some people that, you know, you felt that same way about growing up in such a culturally rich area? So many legends coming out of that area. Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, 50 is extremely high. You know, I was talking with some friends about it. And, you know, this was after I had the chance to see 50 perform at Rolling Loud in New York because I was covering Rolling Loud for Foresight. And seeing 50 perform... And he's performing the classics. He's performing everything. It was just reminding me of how 50 was really a top three most influential rap figure in my life. You know, like 50 Cent was essentially the first rap superstar that I identified at nine, 10 years old. Like I remember, you know, getting one of his first mixtapes from the bootleggers like I remember getting power at a dollar I remember getting 50 cents the future you know before give Richard die trying I remember actually with give Richard die trying there was a kid in my elementary school because I was probably what fourth grade his name was James James Cruz he was the biggest kid in the school in terms of like this dude was tall and muscular and elementary it was crazy and James was a huge 50 cent fan and I remember this was back of course we're showing our age here when you could burn CDs and have a CD player. James burned me a CD with Get Rich or Die Trying. And I remember just listening to that and you hear the many men's and you hear If I Can't and all those records and then everything that went with 50, 50 was easily that guy for me. And then of course there was Hove, 
you know, listening to Hove, and you get into Nas and you get into Dipset. So I'm growing up and I'm seeing Dipset and I'm wearing pink like everybody else. And I'm wearing the bandana sideways like Jewel's. So a lot of those guys were very influential in my rap life. And funny enough, even with those guys, again, you're talking 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. Bow Wow was really my dude, <laughs> you know, Man. even when they were going crazy because I used to have braids. So I used <laughs> to have braids, you know, light skin, like Mike, all that, bandana-like bow, everything, man. And when it came to style in New York, even though I didn't grow up a Yankees fan and I'm not a Yankees fan, at some point you always have to wear the Yankee fitted. So that was always the thing. Like you, it's just in you from birth. Like you got to wear Yankee fitted. You got to wear Tim. So a lot of the jokes people make, some of them be corny, but it's also truth. It's just the life of a New Yorker. Like, and that's how it is everywhere, right? You got to have certain fashion. You're going to have certain slang. So even from early, you saying son, word, like da, 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 da. Yeah, man, those were those were the times. Like I, I picked up on it pretty quickly. I love it. I love it. I love it. And and those influential figures, those dope artists, that culture, did that push you towards a a interest in being in the music industry or being uh being a hip hop artist or maybe you know being a hip hop and 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 sports go hand in hand together sometimes did that influence you to want to be an, an athlete can you think back to when you're like 9 10 11 years old what did you want to be when you grew up what were you what were you striving for what were you dreaming about yeah I, it was definitely sports and for me sports and music has always been like 1a 1b mm. you know sports was always my my go to was always just that first love and even at 9 or 10 years old when I played a lot of sports you know, and, and I was talented and I played a lot. I was competitive. I knew early on that I actually wanted to work in sports media. Like I knew I wanted to be a journalist. Wow. And I also was lazy. Like I didn't want to go to practice. I didn't want to do <laughs> like for me at a young age. I was just like, man, going to school is tough enough. But y'all want me to stay another three hours right, and right. practice and do all of that. And for sport like basketball, I grew up playing in the street. And again, we're talking mid 2000s that's when and one was popping so i'm playing street ball i'm doing and one i'm hot sauce i'm the professor yes sir. like i don't got time to be playing no organized ball and potentially be a big man like this is not <laughs> like kids gotta understand this is not like the basketball of today where it's positionless and everybody can do everything you it, back then if you were somebody that had any sort of size they putting your behind down low yep and me it's like yeah it don't matter, it don't matter if you five five <laughs> yeah like they're putting you down low like you could be skinny as a bean oh you down low but it's like yo i can actually shoot like i can dribble down low like <laughs> so that's what it was and sports was really the first thing i was navigating like all right i want to be a journalist so Stuart scott Stephen a scott van pell you know just watching those guys on sports center watching a young a younger excuse me skip bayless and watching scoop jackson and reading scoop jackson articles and every Friday I remember my dad and I used to go to this magazine stand where we was living at the time in Yonkers and every Friday I used to always get magazines and read so I used to get the latest slam magazine I used to get the latest double XL and the source I used to get the latest WWE magazines and just read over and over again so since when since I was young I knew I wanted to be in journalism and through sports. Working in music came much later on when I was in my later teens and really early 20s. And that makes me want to double back for just a second. How, how did your parents end up in the state of New York? Are they from New York? Are you like six generations deep in New York? Or what's what's the connection with New York? And how did the family, no matter how far back it goes, how did, how did the family end up there? So my dad has lived in New York for nearly his entire life after him and his siblings moved from the Caribbean. And my mom moved up here definitely when she was an adult from down South. So her and her family's from Mississippi and they just met. So I'm definitely, I guess you could say like a second generation New Yorker or maybe a first generation New Yorker who actually was born and raised here. But yeah, it's not like, you know, 
I, I come from a family where it's like, yo, everybody's been in New York for mad long and you're just next in line. Like, yeah, that's how it was with them. And so do you feel like you've been able to to tap into that part of you, whether it's the Caribbean side of you or tapping into that 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 southern uh, that southern uh, gentleman? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, or have you really uh, been disconnected from that part of, 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 of your history? I would say more so from my mom's side, just because of, you know, I only took maybe one trip down south when I was a kid. And it's not like they visited. And because of what happened with my mom and dad, I spent more time with my father and my father's side of the family. So when I was younger, I definitely had a lot of exposure to my father's Caribbean side at, you know, at family events with the music, like couldn't go anywhere, not here, Bob Marley or any sort of reggae and things like that. Well, my mom's side, not really. I, honestly, a lot of my exposure to the South really comes in the form of music and movies and down the line, me making friends with folks from the South and ultimately visiting down South like Houston because I have extended family down there. So it's definitely a disconnect. I would say half of it is disconnected and the other half is like, I experienced it a lot when I was younger, but growing up because of family dynamics, as well as me growing up, nah, I didn't really get to experience more of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> I want to talk about before, before we move forward, I want to talk about your favorite restaurant. So give me two favorite restaurants in a 914, 914, <coughs> correct? 914, but I can also show the city love too, but we'll go right, with the 914. So we'll, we'll, show, we'll show the city some love. So uh, Westchester, one restaurant, and then just somewhere in New York City, one restaurant. And then I want to, and then I want to do the same thing with with favorite place to shop in Westchester, favorite place to shop in New York City. Perfect. I would say Westchester. It's tough, but I'm gonna go with the Brazen Fox. It's in White Plains, where I'm from, on the Marinick Avenue, which is like a strip of bars and everything and, and businesses. It's an American spot. So burgers, wraps, anything. And I've been going there for years, you know, whether it's for a chill meal or to watch the games with the homies, you know, I'll go to Brazen a lot. They have my favorite meal there, you know, the Chipotle chicken wrap with the fries. Bro, I had that this morning. Yeah. I had a Chipotle chicken wrap, not with the fries, but I had a Chipotle chicken wrap. So that's crazy. But sorry, continue. Yep. Yep. It's fire. And then in the city, oh, this is tough because my girl going to kill me for me saying <laughs> But it's a place called San Marzano's in Lower Manhattan. So I'm going to let the viewers have to find it. Uh, I said the name. That's enough. Folks got to Google it. Um, it's crazy because we actually went there after our second or third date. It was like I took her out to my friend's comedy show. It was a success and a place that I was going to take it to. I had a reservation for, for whatever reason, it got canceled. So as you know, I'm trying to scramble and find a spot. She was just like, hey, like I got the spot I used to go to all the time with my friends when I was in college. And I love that place so much. The garlic bread is fire. Mm. I love the sausages and peppers pasta. They make great sangrias. Mm. Um, it's great. So yeah, she's going to kill me. But shout out to Sam Marzano's, man. They, they, they got my love. They got my love. I love that. Yeah, I'm going to check it out next time I'm in the city for sure. All right, yeah, where's your favorite definitely. place to shop? Favorite place to shop? I'm not... I'm not that big of a shopper, but in Westchester, I'm pretty consistent with H&M. <laughs> um, H&M hey, hey, at local malls. Easy go-to. Yep. Easy go-to. Easy go-to. They, you know, they, they always have comfortable sweatshirts, hoodies, and joggers. I get a lot of H&M sweaters and, and hoodies, and I make a lot of, you know, four-side gear with it. You know, great materials, comfortable, and it's affordable. Um, in the city, there's a spot... I, I there's a spot I used to go to often to shop. It was called Uniglow, like some Japanese shopping thing. Um, well, store, excuse me. And you know, they got some really dope stuff similar to like an HM. Like I used to go there a lot to get like a lot of different button-ups, a lot of different like fitted, you know, I guess khakis or pants or whatever the case may be. So yeah, Uniglow for me in the city, whenever I do shop, but I'm I'm pretty simple. I'm a really simple shopper. Like I don't go too crazy. That's always a blessing because simple, simple fashion is always the freshest fashion, in my opinion. And simple fashion always keeps the price correct. So, <laughs> correct, you feel oh, me? 
I love it. I love it. And so I want to talk about, you know, transitioning into your, your later teens. Let's talk about like your interest when she started turning 17, 18, were you, I know you said you knew from a young age that journalism, especially in sports was going to be a thing. And that when you started to get a little bit older, hip hop started to enter into your mind. So let's talk about that. And then let's move towards, you know, college or, or what you did after high school. Yeah. So, I mean, I could answer all of that right now for you. Um, I didn't go to college right away. And the, the big reason for me was just more so interest. Like, unlike others, you know, junior, senior year in high school, and you remember how it was, you know, oh, college is the big deal. I, I applied and I got accepted. I was, you know, blessed to get accepted by all of the schools I applied to. Like, I applied to five across New York and Boston. But I was just like, I don't really have interest in going to college. I'm coming from a single parent household. My pops just went back to college. So he's paying back bread. So it was another two plus two situation. And really that sparked the start of my career in media because at that time, you know, 17, 18, I had started really diving into media. Like I created my own website on Tumblr when Tumblr was really Tumblr and began writing about sports. You know, again, for the folks like me, you know, you 28 and above, you remember when in, on Facebook, you could write anything in the notes section, like list and everything. And, you know, that for me was really the start of my professional writing career. Cause it's like, all right, I'm really writing these weekly posts on Facebook. I'm writing these weekly posts on Tumblr and I'm pushing it and I'm promoting it. And it was also around the same time I started doing YouTube channel. I had my own YouTube channel. So I remember taking my little phone, setting it up in the bathroom and talking sports and just uploading it straight up. Like no editing, no nothing. This is just me. I'm talking. And I actually had some success. Like, you know, you upload videos for six, eight months at a time and you realize, yo, I'm getting 400 views, 500 views. Something got to be working. And the lack of college for me, as well as my own experience building my website and doing YouTube enable me just to be like, hey, man, I'm gonna start from the ground level with it. I'm gonna build on it. I'm gonna grow. And when I was 20, I actually had my own local TV show. So like I went by, you know, the public access TV channel um, in White Plains. And I remember I pitched to them the idea of doing a talk show about sports. And the funny part was, I remember at the end, they was like, yeah, we love it. Let's do it. So I'm thinking, word, like, so how much is going to cost? And they were saying, are you a resident of White Plains? I was like, yeah. They was like, well, it's free because you're a resident. And I'm like, say word. They were like, we're serious. Like, you're a resident. You can prove it. You, we do the show for free. And I remember I did the show for free for two years. It was awesome. Like, I was dressing up, looking like a young Stephen A. Smith. You know, I was actually working with, like, veteran TV producers. And that show was seen across, like, 30% of Westchester. And Westchester County is a big place. So, you know, I really had like that fresh out of high school, like LeBron start to my career. And it was a beautiful time. You know, I, I definitely wasn't so caught up in the imagery of, hey, how I'm going to do it. This is what I need to do. I need to make some money. I was really in it for the love and just trying to find my voice. And at one point, you know, I thought about doing something in hip hop, but I was so locked in was sports that it really wasn't until 2015 when I was 22 that I was like yeah I want to try to do something in music now because I've been in sports for a few years it's working but I also know I have the bandwidth to try something in music as well I love it I love it to me what it sounds like is you was just a little gritter a little gritter baby just getting it in like working yeah. hustling but not under the 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 thought process of I got to make a million I got to make a billion but because of the love of the game you know what I'm saying yeah. and that's very admirable because I know for a lot of creators it's the love of the game but we really just you know a lot of us you know we trying to just get to the bag or or, or do this or do that and sometimes you can get so lost in that that the art the art of actually creating quality media or actually having quality conversations or actually talking in a way that's entertaining to people and, and gathers people's attention and giving valuable insights about whether it's sports or whether it's hip hop gets lost in the sauce because you're too focused on things that, that matter but aren't the focal point. So yeah. I, I really love that. Thank and, you. And my, not even my fault to cut you off, but it was also because like 
it was such a different time in 2010, 2011, when it came, when it came to creatives, like we were really in an era where it was like a proving ground, but it was a matter of what can you prove to yourself? So there weren't a lot of these industry norms, these pressures to keep up with people, these pressures to stand out on social media. Like the new wave of social media was just starting in itself. Like Twitter wasn't that old. Like Facebook was what it was. We were just a couple years removed from being on MySpace crazy. Like people were mainly chatting on AIM and any other place. So it was like, it was a lot of things that were new. So I had an interest and I happened to love it. So those two things were my primary motivators to be like, hey, let me try to write. Let me try to do YouTube. Let me try to do TV, you know? So that that was that was really important. And I wish a lot of folks today had that versus what they have today. I love that. I love that. I love that. I, I wish the same thing. Honestly, I wish the same thing for myself. I go through that struggle personally, to be honest, you know, day in and day out, getting lost in the sauce of, of social media or desiring to have a larger audience. And I think for pure intention, but still getting lost in the sauce, you know, that sometimes it distracts you from the actual art of what you're doing. And, and yeah. it's, 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 uh, you know, social media is as much as, uh, as much as it is amazing, it's just as terrible and maybe even worse. So, so I definitely feel you on that, but while you're gritting, while you're hustling, while you're doing, um, everything you're doing, what are you doing on the side to pull in a little extra cash to like do this yeah. and do that? Like, how are you surviving out here in this world? You know, uh, what were some other things that you were doing to keep, you know, afloat while you still practiced and, and got your reps in, in the, in the industry you were, you know, striving to be in? Yeah, as I was, you know, beginning my journey working in media, I was beginning to work with kids. You know, um, I had a chance when I was 14 to go to the summer camp, you know, named Brant Lake Camp, salute to Brant Lake Camp and my Brant Lake fam. And I got a scholarship to go there. So it's a very prestigious and exclusive camp. It's a lot of money to go there, to say the least. And seventh grade going into eighth grade summer I remember my teacher my gym teacher excuse me Miss Hadley called me into her office and she was like yo would you want to go to like she actually miscategorized Brantley camp she was like you want to go to like this crazy five-star basketball camp where you can play basketball and eat good all day and I was like yeah why not like that sounds like fun um Brant Lake was certainly five stars but it wasn't just a basketball camp it was literally all sports camp for boys. And that was a huge life changer for me because again, even though Sean may be up here with mainly white people from well-off communities and are Jewish, the things that I get to see from a sports standpoint, competing from a social standpoint, where do I fit in? You know, do they accept me? You know, you mentioned race earlier, right? Like I'm the only black kid here. Is it going to be any weird stuff? Like, are they going to try to like mimic my blackness because I'm black and they want to, you know, find, and they have an opportunity to do so. And everything worked out for the best. Sports, playing sports there was great. I made so many friends that I'm still friends with to this day. I did not have any crazy exposures to racism or people being culture vultures. So I say all that to say, I went there for two summers as a camper. I got scholarships in those uh, in my first two summers. And then when I was 16, I had a chance to be a camp counselor. And in my first couple of years of being a camp counselor, you know, I was doing my thing. I was doing a really good job. So that led to people being like, hey, would you mind babysitting? Would you mind doing this birthday party? Would you mind training my kid? So I would say up until two years ago, me working with kids was my full-time job as I was trying to keep the lights on for this other dream, which is working in media, you know, and it went from babysitting and doing after school stuff to coaching in uh, prestigious private schools. I actually still coach in, in prestigious private schools to this day, salute to the Riverdale Country School because I love to coach and I love to work with kids, even though working in media is now my, my main job, but that was the job that kept the lights on for me, like babysitting, you know, private training, after school stuff, you know, birthday parties. I my average day for me, you know, really back then, like 2012 to 2016, when I was really getting after it, it would be writing or doing anything with media from like a from nine to one, from two to seven. I'm working with these kids. 
And then eight to 11, I'm doing more writing and more media stuff. That's how it was for me for a good four or five years. I love it. I love it. And I want to ask you a question, you know, all those years working with, with young bulls and, and really as you're starting to come into your own as an adult, what do you think are one or two lessons you think people can really learn from kids, you know, and being able to watch them like grow and, and, and develop? What do you think is something you learned or you think that people can learn from, you know, interacting with people younger than them a little bit more? Oftentimes we see older siblings trying to separate themselves from their younger siblings or when you're 18 you don't want to hang out with the freshmen that are 14 or whatever you know this this weird age ageism but what do you think you you gained aside from money aside from friendships what do you think are things you gained from from that time period I would say there was a few things I gained but I would say in particular just realizing that younger people are a lot more cooler and wiser than people give them credit for you know like and it, and it may sound weird to some folks, but I have my adult friends, you know, been in relationships. I'm happy that those things have been great and still are great. But there's times where it's like, yo, kids are way more cooler to hang out with. Like, they could be a lot wiser, you know, they, they may do some outlandish things sometimes. So that teaches you how to be patient and have perspective with them. But they're a lot more wiser and cooler than people think. And as long as you talk with them as if they're a person that's capable of having a conversation versus, hey, I'm talking down to you because you're 10, I'm talking down to you because you're six, you realize you could get a lot out of them. And that was something that, you know, like my camp director and, and other people who I worked with during my time working with kids full time used to always say to them, like, you always had a thing, Arden, where you know how to speak to kids because it's more so you're speaking with them. And it actually helped me a lot with my media career because it's like, look, I'm talking to you no other than I talk to my homies or I'm talking to this athlete I'm interviewing. Like, I'm not switching up how I talk to you because you're a child. Like, I'm talking to you the way I normally would. So it definitely helped out a lot. But it was more so just realizing, like, man, they're a lot cooler and and smarter than people realize. I love it. I love that answer. So let's talk about... you know, the, 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 the business of, of being a, a, a creator, a content creator, or a, a multimedia yeah. maven, or, or, yeah. or, or a journalist, whatever words you'd like to use to describe the work you do. Let's talk about the business of it. So say somebody's out there is, you know, 16, they know they're really good at writing, they know they're really interested in sports and hip hop, and they want to, you know, follow the same path as you. What do you think are some initial steps one should take when they're trying to find work or when they're trying to find companies to get contracted. You know, I know you've had some experience working with FanDuel. I know you have experience right now with your, you know, a few months ago, starting to work with 137. And, you know, before all of that, I'm sure you got contracted to write for other people. So how can, how does one young person who's coming up go about seeking out work, um, you know, being able to eat off of, off of the thing that they're passionate about, and yeah, let's just talk about the business, the business of it. Absolutely. And, you know, and today, you know, I would say to that 16 year old, thank God for social media, you know, like social media has changed so much what it means to work in media and to really get started because I go back to when I was in high school and you think about, okay, what if I want to be a journalist or what if I want to be an on air host? They used to talk to you about it as if you had to take the long road, like, hey, you got to be in the middle of nowhere and do this for a while and really go around the circus. And then maybe when you're 35, you get your big shot, kid. And, you know, now it's like you could be 16. And if you're like a huge fan of Complex, you can find a way to DM an editor at Complex and be like, yo, like, I would love to write for you. And, And if that editor is cool enough, they'll be like, sure. So I would definitely say to a 16-year-old, social media, be in tune, follow, interact, direct message. There's a lot of people, especially in the writing space, even if they're freelancers, that are making a really solid living because of that instance of, yo, I was really cool with bro because me and him talked consistently for six months on Twitter. And that's essentially like one of my Twitter best friends. And he somehow got the editor position at Rolling Stone. 
And because we have this rapport and he knows I'm really into music and because he can actually help me out, now all of a sudden I'm writing for Rolling Stone. You know, a lot of these writers now are getting in that position where it's like, hey, social media relationships and networking are putting them in the position to get these positions at higher places without much prior experience. But I would still tell a kid, start off on your own, start that website, start that YouTube channel, um, utilize your own social media. I, I think for a lot of people, what they got to understand is nobody, nobody really starts from zero nowadays with building from social media. You know, you can be somebody that let's say has 1200 followers on your personal page. Truth is you can use your personal page with those 1200 followers to share your work. Hey, y'all, I'm just starting to get going with writing or, hey, y'all, I'm starting to get going with music or video. And you could use that as your initial audience. Going to an audience of 1,200 people potentially and sharing your work is way better than starting from zero and then hoping people follow you from zero, even if they know you. So things are very different. So I would just tell people straight up, like, utilize social media, understand everybody's literally one message away. And then in the meantime, start off on your own. And there's plenty of ways to start off on your own. And then just start sharing it with your personal audience and see how people feel about that. And along the way, you're going to get some great lessons and your own way of content creation, how to market, what your field is like, how's everybody doing, what are the trends of the business, how to brand yourself and what you're doing, you know? But that all comes after you do the first two things that I mentioned in, in 2021 and soon to be 2022. I love it. I love it. I think the really cool thing about um, just, you know, what we're talking about right now is that putting in the work, and I guess this is for every industry, but it, I can really see it clearly with this is like just putting in the work and putting in the reps is what gets you the furthest. So it's like you putting the content out there, you creating your own website and just writing every day, just trying to put out a blog post every week, trying to put out a blog post, or maybe it's a podcast like mine, just trying to put out an episode every yeah. Friday. Maybe it's not going to be the most top tier. Maybe it's not going to be the best edited. Maybe it's not going to be the most visually pleasing, but just getting those reps in and being extremely consistent, yeah. being extremely consistent and especially interacting, connecting with people on social platforms and networking can get you a really long way as long as you commit to the process and understand yeah. that, you know, this is not short-term ROI. It's long-term ROI. So, and, you know, it's like, if you're that, is, this, that is right. Mm-hmm. And if you're in this, if you're in this for the long haul, you will win. Now, if you're in yeah. this just to win tomorrow, you are not going to win. You're not. So I think that's major key also in your industry. And then just me with podcasting and anybody out there who's just interested in, in leveraging media, the key is to be as consistent as possible and network and connect with people on a genuine level. You know, what's one of my main quotes in life. It's consistency is key. Consistency is key to me. I think your consistency is your most unique trait. There's a lot of things that make people unique, especially in the media space, you know, and as creators and creatives. But when you see somebody that is like, yo, they release stuff all the time. They are consistently improving. You know, like I, I want to give a shout out to my to my guy, Oakland Winthrop, who's a talented rapper from my area. We were meeting, you know, at the top of the year in my office. And when we were talking and everything, he was like, you know, at the end of the day, Arden, what makes it easy to support you is that you have consistently grown. Like people saw you at the bottom just writing and doing videos, but it wasn't really getting nothing. And then we saw you get better and you saw you get numbers and we saw you use that to get with bigger platforms. And next thing you know, we see you at events, you at the garden every week, you at this listening party. And he pretty much compared it to the fact that at the end of the day, people love supporting a winner. People love supporting things and people that are growing. And that's why consistency always wins out. And I remember seeing a post the other day on Instagram that said, you will beat 50% of your competition by being consistent. You'll beat the next 40 by doing it at a high level. The final 10% is a dogfight. If you can beat 90% of your competition by being consistent and consistently improving, it makes it so much easier when you realize how in the world am I going to beat this final 10%. I love that. That's powerful. That's powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, run that last minute back and really 
take 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 heed you know what i'm saying really tap into that i think i think the important thing about listening to podcasts and 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 reading blog posts and reading books is taking what you hear that really stands out or that could have been powerful and applying it to your life so if i ever say in an episode yo run that minute back i'm not trying to be fly or tell you to do i'm dead serious run that minute back write it down and really try to apply that to to your experience um so now, man, you know, we talked a little bit at the, about it at the beginning, but I want to talk about foresight. Let's talk about, yeah. let's talk about, man, uh, how do you define it? You define it as a brand, a company. Let's start there. How do you define it? And then what are the um, avenues that you, and lanes that you exist in? Yeah. So foresight, we're a hip hop media startup company, you know, so as you've already heard, we started off as a podcast and now. We're a full-fledged media startup company. So we have a media network, you know, where we create original content that's inspired by hip-hop and R&B. So discussion shows, other podcasts, interviews, live performances. We also write articles, um, of course, creating social media content that could be engaging, live event recaps, anything else. Um, we have a record label that's 14 months old called Foresight Music. Um, that's our home for our musical efforts that's led by myself, Wills, and our guy, AK. You know, weekly playlist, we've put out three projects. You know, we're not signing any artists. We more so just like having this as a way to further connect with artists because, because of what Foresight itself has done, being a platform that is always shining a spotlight on upcoming artists and showing love and connect with them Foresight Music allows us to connect with them now musically in terms of like, look, we're making a project. We would love to, for you to be a part of this project. Or, hey, yo, we're putting a song together. We think we, you would sound great on it with this person. So that's just where we're at with it. We have the music side of things. We have the music side. And Foresight's brand message has always been for our culture, for our music, and for our home. We're proud to be from Westchester County. You know, we're proud to be a part of this wave of people from our area that is starting to represent the 914 and be proud of it because very few people did before us. And we just want to do the best thing possible for our culture and for our music, man. We want to make sure that we're always highlighting it in the best way possible. You know, sure, we may have entertaining talks. Sure, we may, you know, get a little too crazy because we're fans and we're passionate about the music. But everything is done from the standpoint of this is informative. This is about information. This is about context, you know, outside of consistency being key for me, context is key for me with honesty being key for me last. And, you know, and that's foresight in a nutshell, myself leading the way as its founder, Wills being the day one partner, AK being a partner of three years. And we're dope to have a family of creative collaborators that goes up to like 15 people, you know, other videographers, other photographers, engineers, folks who are guests on the shows, folks who are willing to be on-air host. You know, we're we're pretty lucky right now. I love it. I love it. I love it. And you know, as much as I don't want to ever reduce something so powerful down to to money or or a business, but let's talk about you know, your plans too, or how you guys have been able to monetize the platform or how are you guys, you know, keeping it above water? Because at the end of the day, if it's a, you know, a hip hop startup company, you need money to come in to pay writers to, as you grow or to pay yourself to pay videographers or to be able to get into WTF (laughs) studios to do the podcast. You know what I'm saying? So, so what are your, 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 you know, avenues of, of, of pulling in bread and, and what are some of the plans for growth in the future? Yeah, so this past year for us was really our first year in terms of generating revenue. So, you know, we put out the merch, limited merch, you know, that got a really solid response to everybody that cops some merch. And then we also want to tap into the live event space. So we have this live event series that we plan on doing throughout 2022, you know, fingers crossed, called Foresight Presents, which is essentially our own live intimate music series where we give upcoming artists a chance to headline their own show you know because i'm not personally into multi-artist showcases like i don't know how often that is in kansas city but here in new york multi-artist showcases happen all the time and they're extremely annoying like nobody really has the bandwidth to sit through 10 15 20 artists perform a very short set and to be a part of a crowd where parts of the crowd only came to support the artists that they came to see 
So we want to work with artists who we know, like they've been putting in great work and their music is great. Hey, this two hour show is about you. You have somebody you want to open up for you, pick them. You got 40 minutes to perform, do it. And we'll pay you. And, you know, besides those things being revenue generators, you know, I've officially completed, you know, Foresight's deck so we can get some capital. Um, and, you know, not a diss to anybody, but, you know, Foresight, the difference between Foresight and other platforms is we're really a company. So like Foresight on my chest, this is trademarked. Like nobody can use this. And if they did, I have every right for legal action. So Foresight is trademarked. We got the LLC set up in the state of New York. So we're absolutely a company. And it's really just a matter of, you know, hopefully over the next year or two, getting capital that can keep us pushing when we're in years eight, nine, and 10. Because now instead of myself and my partners reinvesting our own money into it, now we have money to play with. Now we can, you know, instead of having to go project to project with people that we consistently work with, maybe we could come up with like a, a, a more than reasonable three to six month deal, you know? So that's definitely the next big thing. Hopefully generating more revenue from our show and our merchandise, but to also get some capital. I love that. I love that. I love that, man. You know, you, you, you over here sharing ideas that got me inspired. I'm like, hold up. Damn, I need to do something fly. I need to do something fly. Yeah, <laughs> um, man. Do it for real, man. Take care of your business. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all about sharing game and sharing gems with one another. You know, it's, 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 it's always dope to be inspired. I'm inspired by people all the time. I'm picking up game from people all the time. And whenever I have a chance to, you know, give my flowers to them or let them know probably like, yo, you put me on to that, bro. Like, or you put me on in that sis. I always do. Cause that doesn't take away credit for me. Like it don't like, nah. I'm securing myself. That's what, that's what I call social capital. We shouldn't intentionally build social capital. Cause I think that can be a, a, a weird line of, of, am I really trying to build this genuine relationship? Am I really being kind for, for, because I'm kind and because I love you, but like, you know, when you're kind, when you share free game, when, when you're, when you're open, when you're authentic, when you keep it real, when, when you answer people's questions, when you respond to the DMs, when you comment in the comment section, like, and, and, and you really engage in trying to interact with human beings, like, that social capital is all the way up here, and with that social capital comes a lot of other benefits, so that's why I say we should never, I don't know about intentionally building social capital, but always treat people with love and kindness, always share free games, so I love that. Uh, um, so I wanted to I wanted to touch on uh, a question that that I'm starting to ask people, and it's in the past six months to a year, what is the most valuable investment you made in your company or in your business or the work you do that costed under two hundred dollars? That's a good one. Uh, that's tough. I'm trying to think what exactly I really purchased. I was under two hundred dollars clutch. Oh, that's tough. And if that's and if that's too tough, think about something that you know what the most positively, the most positive impact you've had. You know, on I'm your happy you said that. that because for me, of course, I had to spend money to make it happen. But the biggest moment I would say that happened for me this year that was a sign of investing in my career was back in June. You know, I remember this was like yesterday. Like I was playing ball with my friend and mentor who's a huge, you know, editor at a, at a big music site. And, you know, and his friend who I was starting to get cool with is like a known PR publicist for like a lot of huge sports and music, you know, acts. And we had just finished playing ball and we at this cafe and, you know, they start talking their own work thing. Right. And this is like boss talk, like, yo, BT awards weekend is happening. They talking about moves. Da, 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 da. I'm the young bull at the table. So I'm just hearing them talk and everything and I remember just speaking up and going yo if you need somebody to go out to LA to do that young blue story I'll do it and I actually followed through with it so it was like you think you would do it so they work everything out yeah you know we got the young blue story we're gonna do da 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 this is doing BT Awards weekend you know you just gotta handle your flight you know my mentor was like yo you can stay with me at the hotel you just gotta handle your flight and for me, making that trip out to L.A., even though it was literally for 48 hours, and even though logically my mom was saying, bro, you do not got the money for this trip. 
Like, don't do it. You know, you're going to be hella broke because of this trip. Don't do it. I was so happy I went against my always more than logical self because that was the moment that I needed that really, really solidified the fact that like, okay, like I'm meant to do this. I'm meant to work not only in media, but I'm meant to be involved with the big dogs. I'm meant to be a part of this lifestyle where here we are having dinner and sunset and there's hella celebrities and, and, and important people around. And I'm meant to be with them as we walking into the Bow Wow versus Soldier Boy versus for free, <laughs> risked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm meant to be here at these parties where, you know, outside of me doing my thing with this young blue story and observing what's going on. Oh, snap, there's Wale. I get to meet Wale. Oh, snap, here's these other people I get to meet. And it's like, I, I always knew I was meant to be here. I always knew I was meant to make these moves. And what was rewarding about it was I remember when my mentor and I, along with a few other people was at dinner, we had a quiet moment where we were talking and he said straight up like, yo, Arden, I'm so happy you decided to come out here. Like, I totally understand if you couldn't have, but I'm happy you, you really did this. Cause he was like, this is a big boy move. And for me, <laughs> that sure. was like the, okay, like if I did that, then I could do anything. That really was like a, like a another wake up call, like I tapped into another level. Powerful, powerful. That's real, and that's like that's another lesson, you know. Just running that back, ladies and gentlemen, in the past, you know, the story he just shared, and really tapping into what's the lesson in the story he just shared. What exactly is it that I can learn from from his experience? And to me, it's that risk can come in so many different ways and so many they can come dressed in so many different outfits but sometimes taking that risk is exactly what you needed to get that energy you've been looking for so you could have been ah oh, two three years and you're like damn i've been doing this podcast forever Carlos. you've been doing this forever like damn maybe it's time to to wrap it up and then something comes up and then you know i got zero dollars in my pocket and somebody's like hey there's this dope podcast event you should pull up to. It just costs $500. You should come. I'll take care of everything else. It's like, you know, sometimes there's risk you should take. And sometimes yeah. there's risk you shouldn't take. But you need to be willing to yeah. just do shit. Because who else, you put that 500 on your credit, you might re-up back 1000 from it. And then that might be all the energy you needed to just go all in for the next 10 years. Yeah. So I just hope that makes sense to y'all. Like, take risks, man. Take risks. Don't let that cliche saying go over your head. Take those risks. You got to. And, you know, it's also something, too, where it's like, if you're somebody that, have, that has confidence in yourself and you really feel like this is what you should be doing, whether it's just podcasting, anything with media, whatever it is, you got to understand there are certain moments that even if it doesn't dress up like you, like you said, there are moments that are there to, like, check you. Mm-hmm. Like, if you really think you about it, you really think you a stepper, you really think you meant to be here with the dogs, then you got to take advantage when you're able to be with the dogs. And I I realized that, you know, you got to do it. And that for me was such a huge moment because it's like, okay, like, this is not the ever obvious moment of that. Like, I could have easily said no and be like, hey, maybe next year. I could have also used COVID as an excuse. You know, it's also COVID. But it's like, dog, like, this is here. I can't predict that it's going to be here next year. I got to take it now. And whatever happens, happens. And I remember um, I was with my friend, salute to my brother, Jihad. We was on our way to a shoot and I was telling him about it. Because even though I, even though I was leaning towards going, I wasn't all the way settled into going. And he was like, look, man, the universe has a way of rewarding people who take risks. He said, this could be it for you. And I remember just thinking, like, yeah, like he might be right. Like, this could be it, you know. Thank God I have a lot of faith in the man above because he hasn't let me down yet. Yes, sir. That's the key. That's the real key. But we ain't gonna get into that. <laughs> That's the it's real called, key. Hey. You know what I'm saying? Big thing. Hey, with that. <laughs> All right, brother man. I've been enjoying this conversation so much. And as we get ready to wrap up, I do want to ask you one final question, two final questions. Absolutely. Um, and 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 that question is how has failure or apparent failure set you up for later success and like i think that's kind of like in the same light of what we just talked about although that wasn't a failure there was like you know i could ask the same question how has a risk or apparent risk set you up for later success and i feel like you covered that there 
But to flip that on its head, let's talk about a failure or, or something that you perceived as a failure that really sets you up for, for something good later in life. I would say failure is incredible because it's not really a failure with the lesson that is learned, which ultimately turns into another win. Um, I think failure, along with more so fear, I don't necessarily believe in failure or move by failure as I am with fear. And, you know, I'm lucky enough that again, like I'm in my 11th going on 12th season in, in NBA terms with working in media. And it was just a couple seasons ago where I was looking at it going, yo, like I might have to hang this up. You know, things are starting to feel a little redundant. I'm really not getting a meaningful bag that can help me transition into doing this full time. And for me in that moment of fear of acceptance, it more so gave me bravery because mm. it was like, Hey, if I fail, I'm going to go out swinging and I'm going to go out knowing that, Hey, I literally turned every stone upside down towards this goal. And that's something that I try to tell any of my friends that are doing what they do, whether they're making music, whether, you know, in real estate, whatever it is, it's like, give it your best effort. So at the end of the day, when the answer is clear as to whether or not you're meant to do this, you can say you truly gave it a hundred percent. You know, I, I never wanted to be, and I still don't want to be in a position where it's like, damn, like I really didn't give my all. I really didn't try to make this play. I really didn't take this risk. So I would say failure and fit and, and fear, that is really what enables you. Because if something doesn't work, then you realize right away, like, well, it didn't really work. And that's and that's the beautiful thing about failure or fear, right? Like you see somebody you want to talk to, you holler at them and it didn't work. And you realize right after that immediate feeling of, I don't know, dejection, that you'll be all right. Like, it really wasn't the end of the world. Like, you know, so I always use that to enable me to make me brave because it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm coming from the inner city, bro. I'm coming from a single parent household. I'm coming from, you know, not having a college degree or a college background in the media space. I'm already beating the odds. I've not once ever went viral. You know, I've not once had a cosign or a big homie. And, and so now with, with my mentor, salute to, salute to Carl, you know, like I'm, I'm 12 years in and I did all of that. Not many people would still be here if there were me, yeah. you know? So I've, I've already beaten the odds. I'm, I'm already here and, and it's only getting better, you know? So what is there to fear, honestly? I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I've been enjoying this conversation so much. And I want to shout out three individuals who've been on the podcast who I can't particularly put into words how they made this podcast, this conversation happen, but all three of them have a hand in in things working this way into this conversation. So shout out to Omari White, um, shout yeah. out to, to, to Kenny Cousins or yeah. Flat Top Media, I believe, or Flat Top Photography. They like Flat Top, yeah, yeah. And then uh, shout out to Armand Sadler. Um, yes, because all three of those individuals had some part to play in making this podcast happen and I really enjoyed this conversation so leading us out of here it's your last day on earth you're 150 years old your great grandkids are sitting at your feet and they ask you great grandpa what's one piece of advice on how to live life and that's the last thing you get to leave them with before you head on to the next plane what you gonna say keep perspective keep perspective of everything and everybody you know, it's not everything is as big as it seems and not everything is as small as it seems. There's always another day. There's always another moment. Just just keep perspective. I love it. And then I'll say, I'll holler at you. I'll holler <laughs> at, at you later. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Before we head out of here, leave them with where they can follow you on social media, how they can support your brand, your company, and, uh, you know, anything else you want to let them know. Absolutely. Um, first things first. Foresight is the most important thing. So check us out on Instagram at the Foresight Company, T-H-E-4-F-O-U-R side company. Um, you already know I'm rocking with 137 p.m. Salute to the home team. So check us out at 137 p.m. Everything that we've been doing for the curious and sports, music, NFTs, and much more. Um, 
and yeah, I've really been trying to build up my LinkedIn too. So holla at me at LinkedIn as well, man. Arden Franklin, A-R-D-E-N, Franklin ending in L-Y-N. And yeah, man, that's that's simply that. Shout out to the nine. Shout out to my family and friends. Shout out to my shorty, man. We out here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Energy. And ladies and gentlemen, always remember, leave a five-star review. Share this with a friend as that is the only way we can grow. If you can't remember what he just shared, check the check the description box. You can find his links there to find, find him and, and keep in touch with him. So Arden, thank you so much, bro. Let's be blessed and let's have an amazing Christmas weekend. And this is your boy. C-I-double-Z-Y, you dig? Salud.